Welcome to the podcast Cook, Eat, Nourish with me, Fiona Staunton of Fiona's Food for Life. Today I have a really exciting podcast for you. I was very privileged to head down to Ballymaloo Cookery School in the little village of Shanagarry in East Cork to interview one of the founders, Dorina Allen. As Dorina says, the way to everyone's heart is through their tummy. She talks about the ethos at the school, how she likes to promise less and give more. It really is a fantastic place. It was founded in 1983 and I asked Doreena lots of interesting questions about her achievements and her different books and the slow food movement etc. So be sure to listen to the end. It's a really really nice chat with Doreena and I hope you enjoy it. Good afternoon, Dorina. Hi. Nice Thank you so you. much for taking the time to, to talk, short, chat to me today. Not at all. Lovely to see you again. It's been a long time since you were here. Yeah, it's 23 years. <laughs> My goodness. And you'll see some changes, I'm sure. Yeah, so, definitely. Yeah. definitely. So fundamentally the same. Yes, I've been down a few times to visit as well. Yeah, so. good. Good. Would you mind introducing yourself to my audience? Uh, well, now, I'm Dorina Allen, uh, and we're in Ballymaloe Cooking School uh, down here in East Cork, and uh, it's in the middle of a 100-acre organic farm, and uh, at this stage, I suppose, we, when we were established in 1983, and uh, uh, students literally come from all over the world, so at the moment, there is a 12-week certificate course going on here. It's in week four, and there are 12 nationalities and uh, that's not unusual. We've had up to 16 different nationalities, so it makes our little tiny village of Shanagari very cosmopolitan. <laughs> we've had lots of romances. Uh, we've had lots of uh, you know, students who've met here eventually got married, and uh, I keep joking now we're better than Tinder. <laughs> <laughs> so, the, you know, cooking, uh, as they say, uh, uh, the way to everybody's heart is to their tummy. So there we are, but this proves it. Yeah, <laughs> fantastic. And yeah. you, would you mind telling us, how did you get to set up the cookery school? My brother Rory O'Connell and I started the cookery school in 1983. Rory had been head chef at Ballymaloe at that stage uh, for many years. And uh, anyway, it was sort of, I always say that the cookery school was born out of desperation because we were farming and also in horticulture. And at that time, uh, the, the um, cheap food policy had just kicked in, gone into the EU. There were all these regulations, you know, uh, tidal wave regulations coming in. And uh, also there was a big recession in Ireland at that time. There was 25% inflation. Um, there was the oil crisis and we were hitting five acres of greenhouses with oil and they really needed a big investment, which as a young married couple, we absolutely didn't have the money to invest in it. And when the whole cheap food policy kicked in, basically it was obvious that food was going to, the far, food was going to get cheaper and cheaper, which is great for many people. It means that farmers, many farmers, can no longer earn a decent living on a farm because they're simply not being paid enough to cover even their production costs. So we could see this coming down the road. We could see it wasn't going to get better. So anyway, we decided we needed to find a different way to earn a living. So we actually, I could cook because I'd done hotel management and my mother was a very good cook. I'd learned how to cook a lot from her and loved cooking, so we started. And then, I, of course, I came down to Ballymaloe House and I was uh, cooking alongside Myrtle Allen, who taught me so much and later became my mother-in-law. And uh, so decided that perhaps we could give cooking classes and that people might come and we had some farm buildings. So uh, we converted those into, gradually, into accommodation. And we started with nine students and then 11 and so on. 
and now of course we take 60 plus students and we have very high teacher-student ratio. We have one teacher with every six students, which is, I think, as far as I understand, it's the highest in the world, really. But it's very, our courses here, uh, and we operate the whole year round, are um, very intensive. We like to promise less and give more. Uh, so basically, um, you know, we need one teacher with every six students. Sure. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, and your latest book you've written, it's The One Pot Feeds All. Would you like to tell us a little bit about that one? Well, this, believe it or not, is number 19. And I can't believe it. And uh, this book, uh, uh, you know, things have changed a lot in, since yeah. I started school in 1983. And um, one of the things that's changed, of course, is that people seem to be getting busier and busier and busier. Everybody is working so hard, both mum and dad, and or par both partners in the... In the family home are very often working and then they're sort of trying to dash home through the traffic in the evening you know maybe grab the kids from the crèche you know dash into a supermarket to buy some um, you know some food and then get home exhausted and doing their very best to try and they know that they you know and would love to you know put really good nourishing food on the table for all the family but it's so hard to keep all the balls in the air so anyway this book is called one pot feeds all and it's literally a lots of really really yummy recipes uh, that are where you put everything into one pot one roasting tin one baking tray and then you take it out and you have a yummy meal with the potatoes the rice the pasta and whatever already in it and pop it into the middle of the table and tuck in and so all the family can sit down around the table and enjoy a lovely meal and also that there's such a feel-good factor for the mom or dad who who actually manages to do this and put it on the table and it's really important because we all and i know you feel very strongly as well that our food can be our and should and can be our medicine and uh, it's very interesting the research that's coming out now more and more is that the less we spend on food the more we spend on medication and supplements so, um, you know, it's to find the time, really, the physical time to actually cook something. And then, of course, a lot of these recipes in this book are suitable for batch cooking, too, so that people maybe the weekend could cook up big quantities of something. And so this is sold really, really well. It's been very, very well received. Brilliant. I think it's the book for this time, usually. Yeah. yeah. And did I hear you mention that you often have on a Saturday where the whole family can come over and, and have a oh, meal yeah. with you? What well, dish would you cook <laughs> for that? Well, basically, um, to get, we have 11 grandchildren, and uh, at this stage, they all live within five minutes of us, all wow. the families all around their own. They're very fortunate in their own houses and all of that. We're very lucky. And then often we have family supper on a Saturday evening. Always, so it's an open invitation to all the family, the children, grandchildren, and, and often the grandchildren bring some of their school pals along as well. We all sit down and tuck into a lovely, you know, homely kind of, you know, family meal. And that, you know, again in the end, um, the children, you know, what everybody loves is, you know, roast chicken with lots yeah. of gravy or whatever, it's the same or you know, uh, Irish stew or bacon and. You know they love bacon, that glazed line of bacon and, and cabbage and so on. They love shrimps and you know the kids eat them out of the, the, the shells. They actually our grandchildren love vegetables too. So they love kale and they love broccoli. They love romanesco, which they call the Christmas trees. So that's their norm. You know they never realised that people didn't like them. So they've always it's always been what they've eaten. And we're very lucky to be living in the middle of a farm. So they often go down literally beforehand and have to pick Amazing. the things and then the summer of course when we've brought beans and peas and everything we'll all sit down around the kitchen table shelling them 
and so on before dinner, just chatting. So Perfect. that's lovely, and it makes them all the more delicious when you've shown them. And all the memories yeah. that they will have all exactly. their lives. It's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So going back to say food as medicine, yeah. I noticed as well you now have a fermenting shed here which you didn't yeah. have uh, at my time. Would you like to talk yes. a little bit about that? Oh, yeah. Well I think there are probably quite a lot of uh, extra things that we're now doing from 23 mm. years ago certainly. So there's the whole, there's the bread shed where all the sourdough, natural sourdough breads are made and all of that. That's also in a, uh, we're like trailer trash in many ways. We have. We really need to build on, we'll do soon, but basically uh, these are, you know, like those refrigerated containers on the back of, you know, uh, lorries that they deliver food around the country. And when they're, after about 10 years, I think they decommission them. And then, so we've set up, in that we've set up one of the bread shed, the Arson Bakery, but also in another one we've set up what we call the bubble shed or the fermentation shed. And magic happens there. That's, we've had that for a number of years now, and it's both a classroom and also we make, of course, lots of fermented foods, you know, sometimes big cheese, lots and lots of pickles, ferments, you know, water kefir, kombucha, uh, kvassas, you know, all a myriad of different uh, things. And that's um, just behind the school, yeah. yeah. So magic really happens in there. And then Penny, my daughter-in-law Penny, who's married to Toby, Penny Allen, and also my, another one of my daughters, Emily, uh, she's also, they work in there a lot and they are, you know, they're like ferment nerds. It's, you know, they just, every day they are making more discoveries because, of course, fermentation is a nothing new. I mean, we've been eating for, in the way of preserving food. So, uh, as mankind have been eating, or the human race or whatever, have been eating um, fermented foods right since time began, really. And but so it's a question of relearning, and there, uh, there are so many different ways of fermenting and uh, and preserving food, literally all over the world, in the east, the far east, and South America, and Alaska, and all over. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. I, I personally, I love it's it. It's a wonderful yeah. Yeah, I love it. And, and really important nowadays. So many people have problems with their gut. I mean, you know, because of the whole change in the kind of food we're eating nowadays. I mean. So many people are not feeling particularly well or full of energy any day. And uh, if they have gut problems, which of course affect both our mental and our physical health, uh, lots and lots of research on that now, surprise, surprise. I mean, it's no surprise to any of us, it is, but uh, things have to be proved scientifically now all the time. So of course these fermented foods really help a lot because they help to, you know, to, um, enhance our gut biome and, and make it more biodiverse and everything like that. So and the immunity so really level yeah, yes and develop our immune systems and all of that. Yeah. Mm. So here's a hard question for you. Mm. What is your greatest achievement? Oh dear oh dear. If I was to think about that. Uh, oh my goodness. Well anyway I've been really lucky to be in the position to, you know, I love teaching people how to cook. I love passing on the skills and so do all my wonderful team I have here with me. I think, it, and I've been involved in all kinds of bits and pieces over the years, uh, but basically I think if I had to choose one thing, or if I even thought about it, uh, it would be uh, the restarting of the market movement in Ireland. Uh, I started, I think, the first, what we now call farmer's market uh, in Ireland about 30-something years ago in the Cold Key and Cork after I'd seen the first 
farmers market in America, which was at that stage in a parking lot on the other side of San Francisco. Now, of course, it's in the ferry plaza building and so on. But there I was standing in the middle of this farmers market in a parking lot in San Francisco, and I suddenly had this light bulb moment. I realised that if we could get the market movement restarted in Ireland, that basically the local farmers who wanted to sell their food to the local shops and, and so on, and local people who wanted to be able to get local food would be able to get it. Because at that time, Ireland, the supermarkets in Ireland had just gone over to a central distribution system. And so the, a lot of the smaller village shops around the country are owned by the supermarket chains. And they were told that they couldn't buy more than 2% of local food, uh, otherwise they would be penalised. So suddenly, local, small local farmers and producers had nowhere to sell because they used to sell to the local shops. And uh, then local people who wanted to get a local cabbage or potatoes or something like that couldn't find it unless they went directly to a farm. And that's not really, uh, you know, it's not really practical when people are busy every day. So anyway, I suddenly thought, well, if we could get the markets going again, then the local farmers and, and producers could sell directly to the local people who want the food. And so I started the first one in the Cold Key in Cork. At that stage, I was on television all the time, Simply Delicious. and uh, the idea of um, for me to stand behind a stall and sell uh, you know directly off a stall in the Coquille in Cork people thought it was hilarious they just thought it was unbelievable really and so several others like Frank Heatherman and Caroline Robinson and, and indeed for that matter Declan Ryan of our beauty spreads they joined me and they said well if Doreen Allen can stand behind a stall on, in, uh, on the Coquille in Cork so can we and just to put it into context uh, basically, at that time, most of the people who lived in, you know, Rochester Road or Montanotti in Cork would not be seen dead at the Cold Key. So the idea uh, was really, you know, uh, I didn't realise how kind of revolutionary it was at the time. And uh, but anyway, we uh, within a short time, you know, people started to write about the farmers' markets, and it was hard to persuade people in the beginning who looked on markets here and on because of our history. People would, uh, would have looked on selling at a market as something that you would only do if you were on your knees. So, you know, to persuade people that this was part of a new way forward and super cool and everything took a little bit of time. But then, so anyway, that was oh, 30 something years ago. Then later I, I did start another one in Middleton uh, in, in uh, East Cork, which is a very successful farmers market. And then many others yeah, started again. So anyway, that's a long answer to your question. <laughs> I think if I was to pick just one thing that I think yeah. has actually made a difference to people's lives, I think it's the it's the establishment of the farmers market movement. And I mean, many of farmers have said to me, I would not be still on the land if it wasn't for the for the farmers markets because they get the full price into their hands uh, and just enough really. Uh, uh, instead of getting maybe a third of the price if they're lucky through the ordinary um, supermarket system, they get the full price and they also get the. They also get the praise from the uh, from the customer who says, "Oh my goodness, you know, Dan, that was a lovely bit of beef or Mary, that was um, just wonderful lettuces or buns that I got from you last week." So a lot of people, when they're selling a product, it goes straight into a warehouse or something. They never meet the person who is going to enjoy it, and we all need a pat on the back for 
uh, for what we do with it. That's and one of the things that keeps us going. Today, yeah. actually, I was in the English market and bought yeah. from Frank Hedman and Young Wishes yeah. Bread as well. So yeah. Yes, and they're <laughs> still involved in the farmers' yeah. at this point, even though both of them, of course, sell literally. I mean, Declan sells you know, right up as far as Dublin with his bread. Yeah. His, uh, breads. He was, I think, the first artisan bakery in the country. And now there are many others as well. Super. You've had a lot of students go through school. <laughs> I should count sometimes. <laughs> Would there be any one or two that you might pick out that are standout oh. from where oh they've goodness, gone or what they've achieved? Oh my goodness, there, at this stage, well, seeing as how we started in 1982, there's so many. And the students are literally, our babies as we call them, are literally all over the world. And often if I you know, go to Japan or China or New York or whatever, or India, I will um, you know, email ahead to the students from that been from that area and say, look, I'm going to be blah, 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 here, 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 and let's link up for a cup of tea or coffee or something, as we catch up for what they're doing. But I mean, oh, it, it's really hard to single out, but I mean, you know, even in Dublin, you're talking about bread, I mean, you know, there's Bread Nation in Dublin, Owen Klusky, he's doing a great job there with bread, but there's, even in Dublin, you know, there's Brother Hubbard, there's, uh, there's Bastable, there's, you know, Tommy Myers at, at uh, Oaxaca, you know, there's, uh, um, James Ramson with Michelin star restaurants and Stevie Parle, you know, go to New York and there's King on King Street, you know, with, you know so it's literally go, go to Delhi or, or Mumbai and so students who've got Indian students who've got restaurants there. And then I think maybe we were meant to count them the other day, but 30 something past students have written best selling cookbooks, you know, quite a few of them are doing television, you know, a lot of people are writing the Irish newspapers, the English newspapers and magazines. They're, students so am I proud of my babies <laughs> very proud of you all no it's like totally true and then often you know when people look I mean you're doing this one yeah. YouTube channel and so it's fascinating all the different ways people use their the skills they yeah. learn here and now we're also doing not just 12 of course we also do a five-week course in the summer as well for people who can't get away for 12 weeks and uh, then we also are doing a six-week sustainable food production course Fantastic. and then lots of short courses obviously okay. and if people are in the area they can come in just for an afternoon or for a day or weekend and, and then now the new area we're going into is culinary medicine courses because this is the, uh, as I know you're very aware, uh, this is the, the a new really, um, you know, um, growing demand uh, for an understanding of uh, really how our food affects our health. And uh, we have many doctors uh, who come, I mean, not, actually on the last course there were four GPs on the last course. And the one before that there were two, then there were three. So it's very unusual now to have a 12 week course where we don't have a doctor actually on the course. Taking three months out of their practice uh, to actually come here to learn how to go and to understand the link between the food we eat and how we feel and our health and vitality and everything. And they, all of them say exactly the same thing when I say, well, why did you come here? Three months out of your practice, that's a big ask. And uh, they say, well, we don't feel qualified to answer the questions that our patients are, ask, are asking us about what we should eat because there is, uh, I mean, it really needs to change, but there's actually uh, very little in the way of uh, education uh, in the whole seven or eight years of medical training on food. They get tons of stuff about pharmaceuticals, but they get very little about 
the impact of food on our health. My God, it's unbelievable. So the doctors come here and now we're, we're starting our first uh, cardiac medicine course, I think it's in May, and that's called Food to Feed Your Gut. And we have seven or eight absolute top speakers. There'll be both practical and lectures in it. Doctors and nurses can get you know, points or credits or whatever they call Correct, it. Yeah. And also linking in with the Mayo Clinic and also with, uh, it's been uh, partnering with uh, Professor Margaret Hannan, who's the head microbiologist in the bottle plant in Melbourne. So uh, I'm, we're really excited about these courses and it's another, it's a bit like the farmer's market now. This is a real passion of mine yeah. uh, to actually uh, to put these on because people are so confused and all that old rubbish, most of it, all this diet, eat this and eat that and all the whatever, just real food. And then people say to me, well, what is real food? And I mean, in Ireland, we have such a crisis. Uh, of course, there's crisis in many places in times of health. Uh, we have a big crisis in Ireland. We're sleepwalking into this. And basically, uh, I think there have been so many different services, but I remember one there um, sometime uh, towards the end of last year where it was a European-wide study where they were looking at what percentage of ultra-processed foods uh, in the people eat in each of the country. In Ireland, 46.9. In Portugal, it's 10 point something. In France, I think it was 14 point something. In Ireland, 46.9% of all the food in people's baskets coming out of the supermarket, whatever way they did the survey, uh, was actually ultra-processed food. I mean, what are we like? Crazy. I mean, you know, uh, again, back to this one pot feeds all. In a way, it's whatever way you can manage to do it with a slow cooker, batch cooking, a big pot. I don't care what it is, but it's so important to somehow get food onto the table. Yeah. yeah. Get food onto the And, and I, what I'm talking about is real food. Yeah. And as much chemical free food as possible. Yeah. At this stage now, we can't any longer say we don't know the damage that the residues of pesticide, herbicides, glyphosate, all the rest of it are doing to our health. We can't say we don't know. It's, you know, there's so much research, it's documented in so many ways, and, you know, we'd be better off without it, to say the very least. And, Darina, you've done a lot of work on the slow food movement. Would yeah. you like to describe exactly <laughs> what is the slow food I've movement? I've been a slow food member since, oh, probably 86 or something. Um, <clears throat> well, slow food is an international organisation made up of people like you and I who are concerned about have a real interest in food and are concerned about the quality of the food that we eat, the deliciousness, the nutrient level and all of that and the, bio, and the loss of biodiversity and uh, so and uh, slow food was started in Italy actually uh, by um, Carlo Petrini who's still the president of it and uh, some friends of his, he was a journalist actually and he became more and more concerned about uh, the deterioration in the Italian food and he got, came together with a few friends and they realised that particularly in the EU where there was a certain, I think it's eased off a bit now, but certainly um, a lot of smaller producers made, were, it was found very difficult to cope with some of the new regulations and some of the, uh, the regulations that were in a way they were out of proportion to the risk involved and also cost more than the business could afford actually. And so anyway, uh, they sat down together <coughs> and out of that was born the slow food movement. And um, it was, as I said, started initially, it's now spread all over the world. And basically, there's always an education element to that too. So I've been a member really right since the very beginning. Uh, and I, I absolutely fully 
um, we, I suppose we live the slow food mm -hmm. ethos really, it's not sort of a born again thing. And uh, so basically uh, we have, there are various chapters of slow food all over the world, there are several in Ireland. And so we have one here at East Cork and there's always an educational element to it. So we, part of what we do with our, um, with our peers, we have uh, about once a month, sometimes twice a month, we have a slow food event. And uh, we had one uh, just there last week, we had Bill, uh, Professor Bill Schindler, he came, uh, he's also on the National Geographic channel, channel in the US and he's very well known, he came here and spoke about again about the mess we're in with our food and all of that and talked about what people used to eat years ago and how we've been conned into eating all sorts of stuff. So that was, but we have an event about every month and it could be anything, it could be like something on honey, it could be somebody talking about uh, water, it could be uh, about um, genetic modification of food, I mean it could be on any kind of food issue, but also we then have an educational project where we link in with um, nine local schools and all of the local, these are national schools and they each of them must have a school garden, an edible school garden and they have a compost heap of course in their, uh, in their playground as well and the kids are literally shown how to sow seeds, how to grow and then uh, cook. So we, they, we teach, they learn how to grow and then we teach them how to cook. They come up here up around the organic farm and gardens and so on. They cook, uh, they pick, you know, they go out, depends on what season it is, they will, you know, pull the rhubarb, pick the elderflowers, you know, uh, collect the eggs, dig the carrots, uh, potatoes, whatever, bring them up here into the kitchen and then they uh, cook all together and really the most beautiful food. I mean, again, the parents say, my God, I never knew they'd eat this or whatever. So we give them these recipes, they lay the table, they, um, and then they get little flowers and put them on the middle of the table and they sit down together. Many of these kids never sit down together around the kitchen table at home and they eat the food that they have cooked and it is super delicious. And the children absolutely love it, the parents love it, the teachers are thrilled with it and it should be in every single school in Ireland. We're not educating our children properly. And you know, so anyway, that's, the, that's part of the slow food thing. But uh, and every year then, there, every, sorry, excuse me, every two years, there is a big uh, slow food um, festival and conference in um, Turin in Italy, and it's called Terra Madre, Mother Earth, and everybody should go to that, because basically it is life-changing. They have farmers, fishermen, pastoralists, you know, transhuman shepherds, uh, uh, beekeepers, fishermen, you know, from all over the world, literally from, from Africa, from outer Mongolia, from India, from the Sami people from the Nordic region, all small farmers and all small farmers, all kinds of, uh, of as I mentioned earlier, all the different groups they come, they meet in Italy, they uh, chat and talk about the challenges they face, and of which are many nowadays, and indeed from the Amazon as well and then they uh, talk about solutions and supporting each other and wonderful things come from that. They bring their, come clutching their seeds and uh, bringing their products and you know I learn so much every time I go uh, to that. So that's Terra Madre, it's in, I think it's in the end of October, I can't remember the dates actually but I'll come up for okay, you. Thanks. And uh, they, uh, in October this year in Turin. So, if, uh, and if you're not already a slow food member, you need to become a slow food member. 
And really, it's an incredibly important thing to be part of, and you have a network, you're part of a network of like-minded people around the world. And then, of course, this Terra Madre event is something really to take a few days off to go to. It's, it can be life-changing. I really think I'm not using the word you know, uh, loosely there. Yeah. So it's kind of almost the opposite of fast food. So it's totally bringing it all back to where everything yes. came well, from. Well, people think, you know, when you say slow food, actually that's a really good point because a lot of people think, oh, it's just cooking food slowly. Yeah. Actually, it's it's not just about cooking food slowly. Uh, it's about slowing down and looking and seeing what are the things that are important. Uh, you know, identifying the things that we're losing, sitting down around the table together and enjoying a meal. Uh, which is what really what memories are made of and what we so seldom allow ourselves to do nowadays. And I really think that one of the things that's really worth hanging on to in any family is literally sitting down on the kitchen table. No damn mobile phones, no television yeah. on. Just sit down and even if you're only arguing, you're keeping the lines of communication open. It's really important. And you know, what are, well, I'm ancient now, I'm 71. Uh, and that's totally cool too, I don't mind, in the least. These are all honourable scars. Uh, but basically, um, I just think that for many of us, the food that, if we were fortunate enough, our parents cooked for us at home are what memories are made of. You know, it could be something very simple like a rhubarb tart or, or sort of, you know, parsley sauce or champ or called cannon or whatever. Just, you know, fried eggs. Uh, can be to, something that you know evokes all kinds of lovely memories, and that kind of food is real food. Sure, and we touched there about the education piece with the primary school children, etc. Mm. What can we do to, to to get people to cook from scratch and in, from an education point of view with the government? What oh, do you well, think needs I, to be done? I am terrified by the deterioration I see in the national diet. Um, you know, it's really really scary. Uh, in, and basically, uh, one of the things that I, and I know you feel very strongly about as well, and many, many other teachers and parents around the country feel the very same. I feel that really since the 1960s, since I was at school myself, at boarding school, you know, the main emphasis has been on academic skills and, and uh, on the STEM subjects. And uh, basically, all of the sort of practical skills like you know, woodwork, gardening, cooking are all looked on of, as of skills of much lesser value. Now, for me, our government and Department of Education, all of us are failing the next generation by actually letting them out of our houses and out of our schools without being able to feed themselves properly. I mean, something that hardly change a flipping light bulb. You know, I mean, what are we like? You know, we need both kinds of skills. We need both the academic skills and we need the practical life skills. What is the one thing that we need every day for the rest of our lives? We need to eat. And whatever about the maths, the science, and all of these other things that are so important, the one thing that you're going to need every day for the rest of your life is you're going to need food. And if you actually can cook, then be it very simple and you don't need to be able to do fancy stuff. Basically, if you can cook, then you can feed yourself properly. You're in, uh, in charge of your own health, you're not dependent on the local filling station. I mean, what do we like? We're actually, many people are buying all of their food from the same place they buy the petrol to fit in their cars. We need more about, we know more about the lives of celebrities than we do about how our food is produced now. 
I mean, that's absolutely crazy. So I feel so strongly that the, that we are failing our gen the next generation by letting them out of their houses without these skills. And what I would like to see, and it's like trying to turn a super liner to try and get the Department of Education to actually change the curriculum. I was, I've been talking to many um, teachers and uh, various uh, civil servants about this. They say it would take five years to change the curriculum. And basically what I would like to see, and if there was only one talk about achievement, what I would like to see before I hang up my apron and pop my socks is I would like to see basically a situation where no child could would be awarded a leaving cert or an A level or any whatever it is without being able to prove, without having done an exam in practical cooking, so they could prove that they could actually cook for themselves. And I, actually, I'm, believe it or not, I've started another book. I mean, as though anybody needs another <laughs> book. But anyway, this one, in my opinion, may be the most important book I ever write. And this is, the working title is 50 Recipes That No Kid Should Leave School Without Being Able To. Oh, great. It's too long of a title, so they'd like to call it Value Basics or something. But anyway, and I would like this to be part of the curriculum. I don't care, they can, you know, help with it to fit it into the curriculum. So that basically, it would every child, boy and girl, like in Finland, I mean, in Finland, every single child is taught how to cook, boy and girl, and they cannot leave school and get with their exam, uh, having passed an examination without being able to prove that they cook for themselves. I mean, that's enlightened education. And basically, I would like to see that situation in Ireland. And you know something? It's still, we know, beyond all shadow of doubt, that that whole low-fat stuff was total and absolute nonsense and was driven, uh, they were trying to cover up, uh, the, the, they put the focus on fat and they were trying to cover up, uh, the, the uh, it was really sugar, they realised that sugar was the main problem and we really do need to cut down on the sugar in our diet. But still, in the Leaving Certificate and in the Intermediate Certificate, there are questions about, you know, what is better for you, what's more healthy for you, low fat or, or, or um, you know, butter. And the actual correct answer is low fat. Now, how disgraceful is that, considering that all the scientific evidence is quite clear that we need good fats, butter and, you know, lard and all of those good fats uh, to, so that we can absorb the rest of the nutrients from our food, all the rest of our food, and also uh, butter as, and good fats are so important for our brain function as well. And yet, to get the right answer in the Leaving Cert or in the uh, Intermediate Certificate uh, examinations, you need to give what I know and what many other uh, people know is the wrong answer. I mean, and that's, we've known that for three or four years. I pointed this out to the Department of Education, I suppose about four years ago now. I wrote to the Minister, I wrote to the Department, and it still hasn't been changed. So this gives you, for those of us like you yeah. as well, who feel very strongly that this is a terribly important thing for the health of the nation, uh, and for everything else as well. Basically, it's quite a challenge to turn the liner round, basically. And I would love the mothers and the grandmothers and the fathers and the grandfathers and everybody else of Ireland to rise up and say, we really want this to change for the sake of the health of our children and grandchildren. That'd be great. Do you think we'll get it done? 
Um, I'm well. I'm a cup half full person, so uh, we just have to keep keep on at it. And you know, we're not alone in in thinking this is important. I mean, anybody that I speak to about this, and you know, when they say, when I tell them I'm writing this uh, other book, everybody says, "What a brilliant idea!" Uh, and you know, this is so badly needed. So I think if we did a poll, basically, I think we'd find a very high percentage of people who would like to see it changed. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. So you mentioned you're, you're writing another book and you've done 19 books so far. What is A, your most popular book and B, the one that you've enjoyed creating the most? Well, <coughs> now, all my books, well, all the little Simply Delicious books are out of print at this stage now, uh, but the, all of my other books are still in print. And I think the one that probably still sells most uh, is the Valley Cookery course. Uh, it's got 1,200 recipes in it, and uh, it's, you know, it's uh, not everything is in it, but I mean, it's like people call it the, the Bible, <laughs> the country Bible. But anyway, uh, that one. But then um, there's also people love Forgotten Skills, that's the one with the green cover that I, these are all big, heavy books too. And then, but for me, the most important. But for me, the one I, that I feel is the most important book that I've ever written, if I was to think about it, uh, is my Grow, Cook, Nourish book. And this was about three books back when I, took me three years, over three years to write that book. And basically it was saying to people, for goodness sake, would you wake up and see what we've done in the last decade or so. We've handed over complete control to the supermarkets uh, for our choice of food. It's not fair to expect the supermarkets to have our best interest uh, in mind. It, that's, not their, that's not their responsibility, their responsibility is to their shareholders. Yet, we have handed over full responsibility to them. So I'm saying, for good sake, would you wake up and let's take back control and start to, to grow something ourselves. At least whatever you grow yourself, even if it's only a little box on a windowsill, basically you, you won't spray it. You'll know that it's nourishing and wholesome. And she gets, <coughs> when, you grow, when, you, when you grow something yourself, when you sow a seed, and it's the first thing we do with the students here on a 12-week course uh, when they come uh, on to come and spend 12 weeks with us. The first thing I do is I show them how to sow a seed. And then they sow that into the ground. And it's a really important lesson because when you sow a seed, you know, the scales fall from your eyes. You suddenly realise that it takes... 12 weeks at least for something to go into a carrot, a pea shoot, even a lettuce, depends on the time of the year. And suddenly you realise that it can't be produced for the price that a lot of the carrots and, and leeks and things are being sold in the supermarkets, particularly in the discounters. And also you want to hug every farmer you see because you realise the work that goes into it looking after it for 12 weeks. And also, when you grow something yourself, I can tell you, you'll eat it slowly and you want everybody to know that you grew it and you won't overcook it and get into the kitchen because you'll appreciate it so much more. And so, sowing a seed is a very important thing, uh, a whole lesson for life. And uh, that Grow, Cook, Nourish book was all about that, saying to people, for good sake, grow something yourself, even if you, it's only on a windowsill in a city, all you need to grow something is you need a container, you need some soil in it, you need a seed, you need some water and you need a bit of patience to wait until it goes into something. And, uh, and then cook it and eat it and it will be nourishing, wholesome food that you really, really enjoy. Fantastic.
and that fits in with my ethos of cookie nurse. Yes, good. <laughs> um, so Doreen, I always ask the people that I'm interviewing, can you give three tips to help improve the health of the nation? So three tips my audience could make a change now or they could focus on now that would help improve their health. Um, well, the first thing is cut out all processed foods and just eat real food. Uh, connect in to the season, try and focus in on when, what something is in season and also uh, to, uh, try as far as possible to buy local food because then it's going to be fresh and of course it will be in season as well. And then um, maybe make a little pledge to spend 50% of your food budget, your food euro uh, on local food, buying from your local farm and local community. That would make a huge difference. Uh, the other thing I would say is, if you've been eating low-fat foods, throw them out and get some good butter and uh, real fats. And the one thing to get rid of completely out of your kitchen are the vegetable oils. Uh, olive oil, extra virgin olive oil, wonderful. Olive oil, good. But there are more and more concerns about uh, those vegetable oils. Uh, a coconut oil is, pretty, is, pretty, is probably okay. Avocado oil, which is of course very expensive, uh, but coconut oil isn't suitable for everything. So that would be there would be two things, and then the other thing I would say is learn how to make a loaf of bread. Uh, it's very simple to make Irish soda breads. It's made literally in minutes, and you can do so many variations on them. And at the moment, the overall uh, commercial bread in Ireland is really terrifyingly low quality and there would be a lot of people who have great concerns about it. So learn how to make a loaf of bread yourself and then if you're buying bread look out for real natural sourdough. There's a lot of poor sourdough around, around at the moment. A loaf of good sourdough will have to be uh, I would say about five euros or sometimes 550. If it's much less expensive than that it can't be done actually. You can't produce it for much less than that. But this is bread that uh, is hugely nourishing. People who've had a, a gluten intolerance basically will find that suddenly they can eat this bread. Now if you're a celiac, of course, it's a different matter. You can't eat anything with gluten in it. But real bread is such an important staple. It's not something you should leave to other people to supply you with. And anybody can make a little loaf of soda bread. It's just made in minutes. It can be brown soda bread or white soda bread. And then you can add lots and lots of twiddles and bows to it. and. Uh, have lots of fun. You can even make a flatten it out and make a, a soda bread pizza and put lots of good things on top of it. Fantastic, great tips, thank you. Good. And the last question, Jorina, yeah. what would you choose as your last meal, your death row meal? Oh my goodness. Uh, well, now, um, one of my favourite foods in the whole world is not actually Irish, it's Spanish, and that's pata negra. It's that wonderful cured ham from the Iberian pig. Uh, that's um, that's one of the most amazing foods in the world, but um, very little thin shavings of that. It's, it goes on, the, the flavour goes on lingering in your mouth, it's so delicious. Uh, but otherwise, I think I would choose uh, a, a boiled egg and uh, from my own hands, lovely fresh, uh, lovely boiled egg, uh, lovely and fresh from the nest with a little soda bread and lovely butter made from cream for Jersey cows. I mean, and then I'd have to have a little sea salt and pepper as well. I mean, how delicious would that be? Boiled eggs and bread. And would you have anything to drink with that? Uh, 
Possibly not. Or Maybe or a couple of berries too. Maybe that would be good. Okay, fantastic. Yeah. Thank you very much. And if my audience wanted to get in touch, it's through Ballard Ballymaloo Primary School. Oh yeah. Right? So basically, for uh, if anybody wants to get in touch, uh, our website is www.cookingisfun.ie. My Instagram is Darina underscore Allen. There's also Ballymaloo Cookery School on Instagram as well. And then there's another one, Tim and Darina. So that will give you images of what's happening around the school here every day. And also the school operates, Ballymaloo Cookery School operates all year round. And so we have um, afternoon demonstrations every day that are open to the public, Monday to Friday. We have day courses, weekend courses, week courses. Uh, several week courses, 12 week courses for people who want to get the skills to earn a living from the cooking. So that, and then there's forgotten skills courses like how to cure a pig in a day, how to butchery, charcuterie, how to make butter, cheese and yogurt, how to build a smoke and smoke your own food, fermenting courses, foraging courses, <laughs> just about anything you might want to come to. And now there will be a whole series of culinary medicine courses as well. So just keep an eye on the website and come and see us if you're down in East Cork. Great, thank you. And I brought you a, a little gift along today in my <laughs> goodie bags for my cookery demo. I always have oh. my raw power bars. They're oh, full of nuts and seeds bound together so with uh, cocoa butter and raw Irish honey. And I make the wow. chocolate because So I'm these not... are probably gluten free or something? Yes, well. they are gluten yeah. free. Yes. Great. And a jar of kimchi, which I have in my house oh. every morning. So. <laughs> kimchi or fermented food. Uh, so good. We can compare this now. This yes. is super delicious. And of course, so good for your. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode of Cook, Eat, Nourish. I'd be really grateful if you could rate and review this episode to help me spread the word. For more information, pop over to my website, fionasfoodforlife.ie where you'll find lots of recipes, tips, videos and blogs. Thanks a million. See you soon.